Hi, Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast, the podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today we're going to listen in as Nathan Shank talks to One Mission Society trainers about multiplying movement pioneers. This is episode 141 of the Movements Podcast. You'll find some notes to go along with what Nathan shares at movements.net. To get to uh, 11,000, level fours, my assumption is that there is, it's going to be a both and, though you're going to build level four leaders out of the harvest. And you're also at, and at least uh, initially, as, as momentum grows around uh, your movement and what you're up to, there's going to be those that, what's the term, Troy, we describe parachute in, right? That's right. So if uh, at any point you can interpret any of those terms that need be, uh, Troy, uh, push pause and I'll stop for a second. No, that's uh, the, uh, if you're familiar with what I mean by parachute in, you're going to have a both and. Some of them emerging from legitimate L3 networks in the field. And then also, even like those of you in the room that may not have been an L3 yourself, but you're going in in order to catalyze a movement on the ground. Just for the record, um, that's not taboo. That's okay to have a parachute. Uh, that's where we started. We, uh, we began training and teaching bef- uh, at an L4 kind of level even before we had any L3s, approaching existing churches, uh, challenging, and certainly before we were L3 ourselves, um, approaching existing churches, helping them move forward. And people often ask us, and you will probably hear the same, even within your own ranks at times, is it okay for me to teach people things like how to multiply or how to get to multiple generations of churches that I haven't seen in my own ministry. And that, that concern comes with a pure motive. People rightly concern, we want to practice what we preach. And so even where we parachute in for training, we need to be ready to backfill. We need to be ready to go back and with our own disciplines, participate in that level one and level two activities, uh, Lord willing, where there's multiplication, uh, function as an L3 in our own disciplines, and yet realize that the truths you're stewarding in the word of God concerning multiplication, they don't need you to lend them credibility. The truths in the word of God concerning what it takes to multiply, they have their own credibility. It's uh, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So as the word is your guide and the, the primary source for your training material, you can step forward in confidence even where you parachute in, even where you can't necessarily point to your own generational chart. Know that as you get started, uh, the word of God carries its own credibility. You can lean on it and trust it and teach it even in some areas of things that you haven't seen in your own ministry. Now, that said, the concern, the pitfall over time, where it's a both and, the pitfall would be uh, defaulting to the parachuter, (laughs) defaulting to and and failing to concentrate in the transition that ultimately the first 500, the first thousand, 
may uh, may involve some parachuting, but to get to eleven thousand in my mind, they the it's got to be harvest field mobilization is what will get you to tens of thousands or to to eleven thousand in this case. So uh, you know our now that we're recording this, okay. Uh, our own organization spends a great deal of time talking about limitless sending. We want to mobilize generations, and, and I'm saying this because everyone I see in the room there uh, appears to me to be Caucasian. Most of them, not all of them. Okay, good, good. James is waving over here. Oh, okay, all right. Well, he's sitting he's right, I get it. Yeah, so what we're, our, our organization talking about limitless sending. We want to mobilize the sleeping giant in the West. Pure motive, but I can say this on a recording because I've actually said it to our president. The fact is we could succeed in that. We could succeed in limitless sending and still be doing addition on the field. So the main piece there that we, where the transition takes place to really, to get to 11,000, you're talking about an, an exponential wild move of God that none of us, none of us in the room could ultimately strategize nor control. But the one piece that you're going to have to wrestle with is where is the transition to from maybe from mobilizing the harvest force, like those of you sitting around the table willing to go, to harvest field mobilization. You may get to several hundred out of the out of mobilizing a harvest force, but to get exponential to eleven thousand, you're going to need to multiply from the harvest. Those L4s that ultimately are going to be sourced in the harvest field. So. Um, I guess a pitfall then would be to assume that uh, though it is a catalyst to get started, the room you're in and the people around those tables are catalysts to get going. Uh, ultimately, it's, it's you working yourselves out of a job and the, the harvest taking your place in, the, in that role, you know? And when they come out of the harvest, then they're not parachuting in. That actually is your transition to, the, to building L4s as opposed to recruiting L4s, right? Is that a fair pitfall? How, how would that be received in the room, Troy? Oh, we're, we're tracking with you. That's where our heart is. That's where our vision is. And so clearly that's what we need to be doing. And we are doing to a limited extent, but nothing yet that let's just think that we're gonna mobilize 11,000 in 10 years unless some things accelerate and change. Okay. And the other, the other piece of that, as far as a pitfall is even in the room, some of you may be thinking, you know, I may not have seen level three in my own ministry. I may not be, have my own generational chart with a stream of church planning. So remember that other pitfall that was there in the background, a little more subtle. Um, be careful about the pitfall of thinking you've got to prove it, that somehow it's on you to demonstrate the truths in scripture before you're qualified to teach them as if you lend the truth credibility. That was the other thing I was trying to say there. Uh, the scripture and the truths about multiplication in the word that you're beginning to be an apologist for 
Now, they don't need you to loan them credibility, right? Let rest on the credibility of scripture there. And I suppose uh, if, to, to build on your own credibility would ultimately, you're going to get to hear a lot in the next few years about the, the criticism critique for pragmatism, right? Are we just building, are we just manufacturing these leaders uh, and somehow shortcutting a system that and it was really an uncontrollable, something only God can do, that is birth movements, you know? So, uh, yeah, be sure you're resting on scripture there. That's my word. Um, yeah, I think that in some case, Troy, even in the, even in the math, it doesn't seem the question as much, but something I was uh, wanting to, to just offer this evening, and we can, you can ask another question and we can circle back if you have other thoughts, but... Uh, I wonder if the percentage from L3 to L4 is 10%. Um, and part of it is it's a bit skewed because there is the potential of parachuting in, right? Number one, you might find other sources for L4s, at least initially, to get moving, certainly uh, cross-culturally, um, than just your pool of L3s, right? Pool of multiplying movements. But realize, here's, here's two thoughts I have on that. Number one would be, I've never seen a CPM. I've never seen a church planting movement, which my definition would be multiple streams of fourth generation, right? I've never seen a church planting movement that didn't have an L4 initially as a catalyst, and what I, what I mean is, you can ask Steve there in the room, Addison, he's, he's certainly got more, uh, he's got detailed files on guys like Patrick or, uh, or John Wesley, you know. He, you can ask him later about that uh, in history. But there always, has, there always seems to have been an L4 that catalyzed uh, initially. And why I say initially, realize that over time, uh, a movement of church planning can actually generate its own L3s, you know? It may not need, uh, subsequent streams of 4th gen may not need the outside L4 role because things have a way of, of kind of birthing, movements birth movements kind of thing. And so um, I'm not sure I can say that every stream of 4th generation had an L4, but every network of multiplying streams of church planting had a catalyst, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so um, realize then that it may not be 10% from L3 to L4. That's all I mean to say. Like, for example, we're, uh, we, we struggle. We don't, we don't actually try to keep track of uh, like on a spreadsheet of baptisms and church starts. I think sometimes, uh, you look back at the, the Old Testament, there are times when uh, David was instructed by God to count the fighting men or Joshua. And there were other times when they counted them, they, they were rebuked because it was sick. So uh, almost like questioning God or somehow depending on man rather than God to, to, for the walls of Jericho to fall down, that kind of thing. But uh, And so these days in my heart or for the last few years, we've kind of been in the uh, avoiding counting. But uh, so we don't have a spreadsheet with baptisms and church starts, but I will say that um, 
when we look around, we're, we're, based, we're pretty well counting church starts in the tens of thousands. You know, there's, a, there's about 10,000 in that movement or, or five to 10,000 over there. And, and we look around at these different, uh, really organized around L4 networks, guys who have seen the L3 role themselves and then helped others. Again, that's how you get to, to movement. But uh, uh, all the time with, with uh, tens of thousands of churches out there, um, we've never had more than 75 guys functioning in an L4 role. Uh, there's several hundred maybe L3s, um, but um, uh, so one of, the, one of the concerns, and I, su- I suppose I'm saying it to say there's a, from my perspective, a potential pitfall uh, in what you're really shooting for and ultimately to reach the, the one billion seed sowing opportunities, you know, for people to respond. Uh, it's, it's necessary to think through the metrics and how to get moving that direction. But ultimately, you're talking about a momentum that has absolutely got to carry its own life. It's got to get out of control of anybody's ability to count, anybody's ability to track. And when your spreadsheets of records break down, uh, you'll know you're, you're accomplishing vision. Hallelujah. <laughs> Good Jesus. Good. Okay. Worship celebration has just broken out in the room. Okay. Somebody's and, in the back of the room. Right <laughs> so, emboldened by that amen, <laughs> I, would, uh, I would even tell you, you know, uh, and that's something, even, even Steve called it a gentle rebuke a few minutes ago. Uh, across in in India where we serve, we have a. Let me try to be polite about it. Um, we have a an open missiological economy. Uh, how's that for a a new term? I'm trying to coin as I go here. Uh, what I mean is, a lot of cases, specifically reporting. <coughs> It is perceived at the local level that reports equal dollars. If you turn in a report in that open missiological economy, it's uh, assumed that there's whoever, wherever that report is shown, that there's some donations that begin to flow, that that's how organizations raise funds. Now, I really have a pretty limited experience outside South Asia. That may not be the case other places. But we want to be, we'd have always wanted to be very careful that our reporting uh, was, oh, if we were going to ask for reporting beyond the one-to-one uh, and personal accountability that requires relationship, uh, we, it had to be value added. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen the generational mapping tool that, I think Steve mentioned it might come after this session. That's an example. That's meant to be an example of a format for reporting that's value added. I can extrapolate and and estimate in some cases, extrapolate numbers of, of baptisms and church starts off that form, but ultimately that form doesn't belong to me. That's, 
a diagnostic tool by which that L3, uh, in the hands of an L4, that L3, there's value added in his network because he's re it helps him redefine success, think about generations toward multiplication rather than just addition. Uh, and of course, some of the elements of health that are going to be essential in your sustainability. So uh, some of those different ways to creatively uh, track what you guys, how do you get to 11,000, you know? Uh, even some of those things were in the, in the motive behind some of the tools we've, we've used for diagnostics. Uh, so some creative tracking. And the pitfall then is you can burn up a relationship really quick by asking for support. And, uh, when the perception is there that the alternative motives for the reporting, then you can burn up the relationship by pretty quick by treating somebody like a factory, you know? So just see that as a, a potential pothole. In most denominational settings, success is pretty clearly defined in ministry by the pastoral role. Is that fair to say? As you think about the various denominations you're going to approach and that you're targeting for training, where you're deploying L4s, those existing pre-existing audiences that you're trying to mobilize through training, and if they've been there in place for very long, um, not just that, you know, at, at the institutional, that word and all the vocab associated with institution has such a bad rap, you know, I'm not meaning to throw that under the bus. It's a big part of the sustainability, but that institutional mindset um, around a denomination, most likely success in the in the in those leaders mind is defined by the l2 the pastor role so as you think about what you're campaigning among pre-existing pastors for the lay people you're campaigning confidence you're campaigning uh, becoming a doer of the word and not a hearer only but for the leader it's a, we found an entrenched L2, an entrenched church planter or pastor is much harder to mobilize to L3 than even than a, a believer who's not, than a believer who's doing it, nothing, you know? That might be the hardest place to get over institutional mindset, the level two leader. And so you think that through all of their time, oh my goodness, we don't have to pick on any cross-cultural setting to, to illustrate this. We can talk about America if we'd like. When, when a young man thinks I'm being called into ministry, immediately they're, it's by default, they're being, it's assumed by the powers that receive them into that calling, that they're going to fill a pastor role. So as, a, as an organization, you guys have to become almost at nauseum. You're going to need to continue to wrestle with the question of, is there an apostolic task? Exactly, exactly what is that role of the sent one 
And for that matter, uh, what vocab can we use to describe that catalytic role uh, in scripture that's not going to blow up our relationship? Uh, most likely some of those denominations are secessionists by this time. If they've developed a, a theological, uh, you know, uh, self-theologizing type of uh, function within their work. So you've got to really wrestle with which vocab to use. And, and not that I'm going to assume that even in your room there, that everybody's ready for a, for an apostolic vocab. But uh, how do we mobilize the L2 and redefine success in their mind that success is actually giving it away? That's the major barrier between L2 and three, right? That idea of success is there in the mind of the L2. That we, that the pastor's role is to paint the paradigm around themselves, to gather the flock around themselves as the shepherd. Getting to L3 actually requires a redefinition of that idea of success, right? That influence is measured by what your disciples do. And a hundred different ways, it looks like you've got a great uh, community of practice there. You're going to need a hundred different ways to say that same thing, to campaign that concept of release toward multiplication. You're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to really almost take up an apologetic role with those denominations to say, to just wrestle with the mess. Is it okay is it okay that uh, we have scenarios like Corinth by releasing into new areas uh, that, uh, you know, the Galatians struggle with the, the true gospel, false teachers coming in with legalistic works. And um, that's, you see the apologetic role there, right? So I guess what I'm trying to say is uh, as you, each one of those denominations trying to identify that champion, that early adopter who will go first, take the, the perceived risk to redefine success around release and then figure out how to, whenever you find that individual, figure out how to leverage them within the denomination. And for that matter, as you're already talking about in, in a, perhaps in an L4 role, how do you move them around among other denominations, adjacent denominations by which they can become the case study and catalyze the early adopters in the next denomination. Um, and there's sometimes when the worst thing you can do with an L3 is move them, you know? Honestly, uh, it, uh, that has L3s have always been our key result area. That's really the, in my mind, that's the sweet spot in the kingdom. Not that you don't measure or set a goal for 11,000 L4s. Praise God. That's receive that from the Lord. But the key to reaching an area is ultimately not reproducing teachers of the word. That sounds strange, right? The key to reaching an area is reproducing doers of the work. They have to be exposed to teaching. But in that sense, the L3 is really 
that's really the pinnacle, so to speak, of a, uh, of a, of a church planting movement. Multiplying L3s is the goal. So, and each denomination is going to have its own, its own uh, set of authority campaign and release campaign uh, along the way. How do you deal with L3s and 4s? One of the great resources you guys have going for you is that you've got multiple denominations out there. You know, um, there's going to be times when you have to push away from the table. You're going to come to a place where even as you do that apologetic of release and trying to redefine success and, and what does biblical authority look like for ordinances and things like that, there's going to be resistance. And sometimes, sometimes the, uh, the tough love of neglect, you know, uh, you're going to, as you move with those movers, with those early adopters, at some point there's going to be, uh, you'll realize taking one more step, pushing one that much harder would blow up the network or usurp a, an authority or a voice that maybe God had put in place for a time, you know, especially in a denominational setting. And you guys having to steward, if we keep pushing on this door, um, we're, you know, uh, there could be some, some pretty uh, ex explosive growth at times, not necessarily the kind of growth you want. So my suggestion in a lot of cases, you're, one of the strengths is you've got, you're launching 100 ships at once. Not all of them are going at the same pace. There may be time, rather than blowing it up by pressing too hard, there may be times that what's actually necessary is a six-month break. To step back and, in a sense, choose to honor a leader who uh, may be actually dealing with and motivated by, with pure motives. He's, uh, you know wanting to shepherd the flock, wanting to, to maintain unity, wanting to, to make sure, you know, uh, no child's left behind, a kind of impulse, that also from the Lord, well, at least uh, can be a pure motive. And uh, where's the, uh, so I guess what I'm saying, Troy, is there's times when we've known we, the, the, time, the hour had come, we needed to push forward. And there's other times we took a step back and kind of let things percolate for a little bit, let people wrestle with, especially where we perceived a pure motive. Somebody who really had a strong shepherding impulse may take a little more time before they're willing to take what we what they or we perceive as as a risk of release, and uh, so in a lot of cases the that that seedbed for mobilization the, the the denomination you're trying to mobilize may be the ones that set that pace. And I um, know tomorrow today doesn't necessarily mean no tomorrow, you know. Especially where you can cross pollinate, you get to a few case studies. And you begin to utilize them. You get to move them around a little for their testimony. Um, and not just taking the, the L3 leader to testify in a training in a different denomination. Sometimes you bring the denominational leaders to that. Sometimes those denominational leaders who or gatekeepers of a network that has potential to multiply, sometimes by 
plucking them from their own field and taking them to another where something is happening and another work that's a few steps ahead, sometimes they can see in somebody else's work what they can't in their own, you know? And they may be blind to it in their own uh, Jerusalem, but as they go out and see it in another field, that issue of, of a refusal to release or this or that or, or some extra biblical idea of, of what it takes to, to ordain, that kind of thing. Um, sometimes they can see that easier in, 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 the, in someone else's field than they can their own. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is there's no cookie cutter process by which you know if it's time to blow it up or to step back and give it time. Uh, that's, that's part of that relationship piece that uh, Steve mentioned. It's loving people. And uh, now I was, I was saying all of that, uh, that with the assumption that there's pure motives behind. There's also a significant number of impure motives for people not to release. And uh, for that, uh, and I don't know that we could ever touch on the financial uh, aspects of these conversations, especially where it's so varied among the, the different denominations you're working with. But uh, at a denominational level, one of the things you might need to really pull out of the, uh, the broader four fields training is the, what we call, and you guys will be familiar with the four selves. I say it, I explain it only because we've got a little tweak on number four. So, so it's, you know, it's Vin and Anderson, it's Nevius, it's self-supporting, self-governing, self-propagating. But then instead of self-theologizing, we're not so convinced that a, uh, an indigenous group needs to reinvent the theological wheel, you know, uh, but rather there's something to be gained by exposure to, to uh, the outside uh, 2,000 years of theological development, but rather self-correcting, that they can utilize the word of God to filter worldview, to filter culture, and, uh, and come to a correction uh, self-correction uh, as a stewardship. Most of the time that happens within a, rather than at the single church level, that happens in relationship of a generational chart, for that matter, an association denomination, that idea of self-correcting. Usually it's, it kind of carries more of a council type of feel rather than a single church being able with confidence to, to wrestle at that level of worldview. So those four selves may be something you pick up out of the broader four fields training and use in your apologetics with, uh, at the denominational level. What does it really take to be self? Why is self-supporting so essential when it comes to release of authority? Why is self-governing so efficient when the congregation has to wrestle with each other in order to make decisions? Really, it gets to motive, and that's where you redefine. Rather than having success defined for you, the whole, the whole congregation taking up uh, that stewardship of defining success and wrestling with motives, you know? Four selves are essential in release. Nathan, you mentioned just a few minutes ago that you see L3 as kind of the pinnacle or the, the most important leadership in, in the movement. Would you... Tell us how you came to that conclusion, and, and, and because, because you, many of us are 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 L fours that have parachuted, um, you know, understanding that from from your experience perspective would be very helpful. 
Well, it, it kind of ties back, brother, to something I said earlier. I can't think of a, of a CPM, a movement of church planting, multiple streams of fourth generation. I can't think of one in the contemporary context that didn't have an L4 initially. Somebody stepping in and helping them get moving, you know? Um, that said, I know I can think of a lot of movements that are rolling that they don't have, they don't have the same needs for an outsider to speak in the way they did initially. Meaning they've become a factory for their own L3s. And they, they've created such a community of practice that it's almost like a, a star on the page where all the dots are connected to each other for community rather than just coaching. And they're, cre and they're generating L3s without an L4 outsider role speaking in. So some, I don't know, man, how many different metaphors we could throw out to talk about momentum in a CPM. That's to put somebody pushing the snowball initially, but as it rolls down the hill, L3s just start to break out everywhere, you know? Guys who, because you've redefined success, that success isn't just becoming a pastor or the pastoral role, but it's releasing in your generations of churches. Suddenly uh, L3s uh, uh, can really outstrip uh, your need for, uh, for, uh, for an L4. I don't know. And you think about then, brother, especially from the perspective of those of us who, are, who had a parachute, right, initially, parachuting in. The L3, man, that is an effective kingdom worker. That's, that's one of those guys who's 2% of the Great Commission workforce for the, over the last 2,000 years, right? So when that becomes the concept of success in the average leader's mind, I'm working toward release like a grandfather, a grandparent. Um, success is measured by the health of my grandchildren, great-grandchildren. When that becomes the concept of success, oh, man, it's on, right? And uh, now uh, realize, based on the ways finance is used, based on what's celebrated, um, the, the L4 role actually carries the potential to compete with the L3 as the as the standard of success. And where we filled the L4 role by parachuting in, you realize uh, our national brothers and sisters, those emerging within movements, uh, there is, there is a, they have intuition, you know, they can, they can look and see that, wow, that's where, I, could, I, I don't have to go through all the levels, so to speak, to, to get to that point. I, could, I, can, I may have the gift of teaching and be able to parachute in as well. And it's possible to have a movement of trainers without ever getting the reproduction. So somehow, I guess that's what I mean by the pinnacle, prioritizing the L3 role as the real, that's, that's the engine, that's, the, that's where success is going to be generated you know that's where you actually are multiplying l4s may or may not get you to vision multiplying l3s will get you there you think about the literacy of even of the united states 200 years ago 
founding of our nation, what was the literacy rate? What was the actual access to scripture at the local level? What percentage of households had a Bible in their home? And for that matter, uh, uh, thinking through all the media we have, we, we live in the most biblically literate Christian culture, or certainly we have a higher level of access to scripture, to, to rightly divided truth and other things in the U.S. today in the 21st century than has ever been known in the history of Christianity. It's possible, it's possible to multiply teachers of the word without multiplying doers of the word. So what you're wanting to do is multiply doers. And in my mind, the pinnacle of doing the word of God, pursuing the kingdom is that is, is kind of embodied in that L3 role. I think that's your key result area. Doesn't mean you need to change or move away from 11,000 L4s, but uh, the 11,000 L4s may or may not be the actual engine of your movement, getting to some level of L3. And certainly that's where your sustainability is too, uh, beyond just the, by the way, you guys get to a billion mouth to ear type of gospel shares or opportunities to respond. Y'all are going to be busy. Praise God. (laughs) Not just getting there. I'm talking about the fruit of that labor. The, uh, yeah, if you get to, you just think about, because all life begins with seed, right? And asking the question, where are the seed sowers going to come from? That's the first question in the kingdom mobilization. Where are the sowers going to come from, Lord? That's why when he sent them out two by two, 35 sets of two, he, what's the first instruction? Beseech the Lord of the harvest to, to send out laborers. Where are the sowers going to come from, Lord? That was the question, right? And uh, my goodness, if you're going to get to a billion gospel opportunities, you realize that the vast majority of those gospel shares are going to come from people who aren't yet believers have never heard yet themselves but it's going to snowball right 90 percent of that may be people as of yet haven't had the opportunity but as you go through the next decade you you won't be able to keep up with the fruit guys so i don't in that sense that's your transition to harvest field mobilization if most of your gospel shares are going to come from right out of the harvest, the Samaritan women and the demoniacs and the, for that matter, the fishermen that come and follow, you know, if that's your source for seed sowers uh, from the beginning, the, the vast majority of your billion opportunities coming from people who are new believers, uh, your transition to harvest field mobilization, which is something I'm intentionally saying over and over again tonight, uh, that's going to, that's going to take care of itself, you know. Praise God. When, what do we mean by harvest field mobilization? When, especially as an L4, when I parachute in and start training, I see things that aren't progressing or maybe they're not getting. My impulse or sometimes is to outsource. 
Now, that again, with a pure motive, let's find a model, somebody to model for them, maybe even ourselves. So if they're, if they're going out two by two, but they're afraid to share, so the transition from field one to field two, they're getting into homes, but they're not sharing a full gospel or they're not calling for decision. How, what do we do about that? And sometimes this, in our minds, we think we can outsource that. Um, for example, we've always committed, uh, you, you don't have to buy all of this. I'm just talking out loud on some of it. All right. But we've always committed to mouth to ear mobilization for seed sowing. And what that meant was we refused that sometimes we even refused to introduce gospel tracks or Jesus films. Or knowing that those things, they could, they might even, when I'm thinking this week, they might actually, uh, you know, I might get more mileage out of some of those things this week, but I'm trying to think long term, because if our goal in mobilizing seed sowers, where are the sowers going to come from? If my goal, if I realize the major barrier there is confidence, People lack confidence, so they're not sharing. Then the last thing I want to do is in that moment of truth, when they're about to tell their testimony or about to share the gospel bridge or whatever I've trained them in, but they get nervous. If, if in that moment they say, well, here, just read this. They hand the track or they push play on the film or they <laughs> all the way through to the other, to inviting them to the Billy Graham crusade rather than sharing for themselves then I've outsourced the evangelism, right? In a sense. Um, going from field two to field three. Who can and can't teach the word? Disciple new believers. Or the barrier might be who can and who cannot baptize. And you think about how we outsource that when there's a barrier of authority or a barrier of confidence we outsource it. It's so easy to look over our shoulder, right? And, but by doing that, we've also given up the, the opportunity to mobilize someone. So level or field three to field four, who can and can't be church? Who can and can't be a pastor? For that matter, back, field four back to field one, who can and can't be sent? Or even how are we going to send? We can, if I had a little bit of budget, I could catalyze sending a lot quicker by introducing it from outside. But waiting on them to generate that locally is going to take more time but when they actually get over that barrier without outsourcing the sending. Then, there, then you realize the harvest field mobilization, actually you can circle and circle and circle the four fields it can become a closed loop, you know? It can become a, a sustained economy, so to speak, economy, so to speak, that everything needed for the harvest is in the harvest. That's what we mean by harvest field mobilization. And when that, when that becomes a closed loop and doesn't require outsourcing at any point, man, that's when things get exponential. That's what we mean by harvest field mobilization. Your goal is always a closed loop, a locally sustained kingdom economy. 
that can roll over and over again. So what I mean to say as an L4, when we come from outside, we have an awareness of all the resources that are out there. At this week, it would be a lot more expedient for me to plug them in from outside. But you have to really wrestle with that stewardship because whatever you outsource, you're going to have it's, it potentially becomes a barrier to that closed loop. That's your goal, right? How's that? Yeah. That's in a, some way that's a, that's another commercial for the four selves, isn't it? For the Nevius principle. So uh, yeah, be very, very careful <laughs> with, with your knowledge of outside resources. And uh no doubt within your organization in such a, a long history, you guys have had many, many uh, waves of conversation and campaign about uh, sustainability and for that matter, uh, the use of finance and other things. Um, those things can kill, can kill your momentum at any, we used to say it this way with uh, denominations or organizations maybe even like uh, organizations that uh, on paper were about church planting, wherever you, whatever you choose to finance between L1 and L5, wherever you put your budget at that time, at that moment, that is the, that's the sum potential to multiply. That's, that's the ceiling because people don't give away what they're paid to do. Right. We're getting to the end of unengaged peoples globally. And uh, the number is continuing to dwindle, praise God, of peoples with no, no known church planning strategy. What's next? Do we just cycle back to unre un unreached peoples and continue to, do we try to, to, to restart that engine of, of uh, what does it take to get to a reached people group? What do we do next? I'm going to tell you that the Great Commission community, and you guys obviously playing a significant part and stewarding a voice in that, they're wrestling with that question. And sadly, some from my generation and even uh, younger, a lot of the voices that are loudest right now are have to do with good things like, uh, you know, social justice. And, uh, you know, uh, human trafficking and things that, that when we see them on the ground, we can't turn away either. We've got to open our door. We've got to advocate for, uh, you know, uh, against poverty and against trafficking and against, uh, start, you know, malnutrition and, and prostitution and all that's involved. Those things are, the church can't turn a blind eye to that. But realize this fact, uh, for that matter, you'd be surprised how much we hear about creation care these days. And are we stewards of God's creation? Absolutely. But I just want to recognize when you meet organizations like yourselves, that right out of the chute, the way they introduce themselves is we're about seed sowing. We're about seed sowing. You hear that in somebody else? Uh, celebrate that fact. Celebrate that reality. That's uh, that's coming under question more and more these days. And, and my suggestion is use your voice. 
really begin to wrestle. A billion, my goodness, praise God, a billion opportunities. As that starts to gain momentum, you're, you realize you're stewarding along the way. As that, as that snowball runs down the hill, you're stewarding the reality of good versus best when it comes to targets also. And how, when you get to movement, because movement begets movement, almost like revival begets revival, you're stewarding levels of leadership that the vast majority of the Great Commission community have no access to. That's another layer of stewardship for you organizationally as you move L4s around, as you give away the kingdom to other organizations who are scratching their head about what's even the key result, what's the target. You've got to use that voice outside your own walls as well and, uh, and help define the target. This is where it comes to me, Troy, and a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Forgive me if my English is poor, but getting to a multitude requires multiplication. So if your organization has a vision for multiplication, it's from the Lord. It's from the Lord. And you might be as close to fulfilling your purpose as an organization when you campaign multiplication as any other stewardship you have. So uh, take it serious, you know, and get, give that away as well. You got 50 practitioners from your room. Five years from now, you'll have 50 organizations sitting around here in your case study. How your 50 turned into thousands. So praise God, guys. I'd say go for it. Don't forget you can visit movements.net and search for episode 141 of the podcast to download notes that go along with uh, what Nathan has shared. This has been Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast.